we will begin our new book series next Sunday. If you're new here tonight, I'm not a three-point sermon guy. I'm a let's just tell a Bible story guy. That's, that's the tone that, that I, I try to communicate. I'm just here to, to tell you a Bible story. Nothing more, nothing less, and make applications where we can. That's, that's what we do. And so I love going verse by verse. I love uh, expository Bible teaching. And tonight we'll see that, but it will be heavy on the application side. Some of you may remember I preached this sermon one year ago when we were traveling through the book of Malachi, and I I think it's important because historically at Lynchburg City Church, I have not done a good job in this area of teaching you about the matters that we're going to talk about today. So we'll go ahead and jump into the text, Malachi 3.8. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. God has sent Malachi to preach a series of sermons to the people of Judah. They've returned from exile in Babylon a few years earlier, and God is not happy with them. He's not happy at all with them. Malachi tells them, he says, you're robbing God. And of course they say, what? Like, are you serious? Are you for real? We're not robbing God, we're giving and if you know anything about the, the backstory, you were here and went through Malachi, they are giving. There really isn't any faith involved. They're merely just going through the motions. Yeah, they're going through the motions to say, yep, I gave and check that box. Earlier on in the story, they were indicted by the prophet because not that they didn't give, but what they did give wasn't a good offering. Here they're supposed to be bringing their very best to God. But they're bringing God anything but their best. They're bringing God the animals that are sick, that are, that are blind. And so he says, you're, you're robbing me. And they're like, what? No, we're not. We're giving. We're, we're worshiping you. No, you're just going through the motions. That's all you're doing. You're just checking a box. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts, they're far from me. And so here he indicts them. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. No, we haven't. Uh, no, we, we haven't done that. Yes, you have in your ties and your contributions. You have. Then verse 9. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Judah's waywardness was not limited to a few. The whole nation, you're, you're robbing God. That's what he says. 
some of you in here are very, very generous people. You are. So generous. Like the Macedonian Christians who we'll hear about later. But many of you, you're not. You're not generous at all. And like the people in this story, you too are robbing God. That's the truth. Judah's waywardness is not limited to a few people. So the whole nation, you're, the whole nation is being indicted right now by Malachi. And honestly, statistically, it's just as true of the church at large today. I read an article, it was from, I believe, the Verge Network. And it was over the summer, and the statistic is, is that Christians, hang on, Christians give at the same rate that non-Christians do, about 2.5% of their income. It's about what they, what they do. 2.5%. That's what, that's what the average, as the stats say, the average Christian gives about 2.5% of their income. Same rate as non-Christians, and then we wonder why people say we're no different than the world. We, we wonder why that people call us hypocrites. And then you say, well, but nobody can knows that, right? They, they don't know if I'm giving or if I'm not giving. And if that's your attitude, then man, you probably have way more in common with the people that are being indicted right now than you even realize. Judah's waywardness was not limited to a few. Don't get me wrong. Some of you in here, very generous people. Many of you are not. And I could stand here and tell you that you are so that you feel good about yourself. But I have to give an account to God at the end of the day. And so we continue, and he says this. Verse 10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, bring the full tithe in. And that once again gets kind of at the heart. You're going to hear that phrase repeat a lot. The heart of what God is truly after. They say, Malachi says, bring the full tithe in. See, what the people were doing is, as I said, they, they were giving to God, but they were keeping back for themselves the very best. They weren't giving God their best. They were keeping that for themselves. Perhaps, perhaps maybe they were worried. Right? If, I, if I give that, what happens if I need that? Well, I already gave it, so, so then what? I know that's a common reaction I think we have. And sometimes it's very much a trust issue. If I give that, then if something happens, if the situation arises and I need it, then I don't have it anymore. And God's saying, don't hold back. I mean, after all, think about the whole situation. God's brought them from Babylonian exile back to Judah. The fact that they're even there is owed completely and solely to God. Everything they have is from God. And they're not wanting to give or just give, you know, just enough to say I did it. 
just enough to do some type of religiosity exercise for the week or month or year. No, he says, bring the full tithe. Don't hold back. Bring it in. And then it says, and thereby put me to the test. Now, I realize that that might seem like an apparent contradiction with some other popular passage of Scripture. In the wilderness, you remember our Lord. He tells Satan, I'm supposed to put our Lord our God to the test. So then how do I reconcile that with Malachi speaking as a prophet on behalf of the Lord, saying, put me to the test. I think it's important to understand. It is wrong to test God. No doubt about that. It's wrong to test God with complaining. It's wrong to test God with rebellion. It's wrong to test God with unbelief. Exodus 17.2, Numbers 14.22, Deuteronomy 6.14, Psalm 78, Psalms 95, Psalms 106. But it's not wrong to test God with obedience, especially when He commands it. That's the difference. It's not wrong to test God with obedience, especially when He commands it. They, they, don't, they, they, they haven't given. They should. They should be giving. I mean... They're back in Judah from years of Babylonian captivity. And yet, they've got some major trust issues going on. And it just so happens that they're just, they're not wanting to give as they ought to be giving. And so, God says, put me to the test. See what happens. See if you, when you obey me, if I won't take care of you, if I won't still provide for you, if I won't meet your needs, do it. But what if I don't have enough for to pay my Hulu bill for the month or, you know, my Netflix bill? Like, what, what about that? I'm going to provide every need. So, so put me to the test. Put me to the test, Judah. I mean, I've taken care of you up to this point. You're not in Babylonian captivity right now because of me. You're back in Judah because of me. Every good and perfect gift comes from our father, James tells us. So trust me. But we struggle with that. We do. So where, where or at what point does this cross over? Where is the application here for us? What, what's the significance? Because there is a lot. And most of it is, well, Joe, why don't you just tell everybody they need to be giving 10% to God and we'll solve that problem right here and right now. Maybe that's, you're thinking in the back of your mind that at some point I'm going to go there. I don't know if, if you know this. It's interesting. In all the passages where the church gives, there's never at all any mention of a tithe. At all. Like none whatsoever. But 
that's what we're told. That's what we're taught. If you grew up in the church, God commands you to give 10%. My mom taught me that from a young age. You give 10%. That's what God commands. That's what he wants. We don't want to rob him. So somehow like trying to weave in these passages. And that's it. There you go. Problem solved. So you say, well, what's the problem, Joe? What's the problem with saying that God says to give 10%? Well, first and foremost, he doesn't say to give 10%. It's not even biblical. And that's where I'm sure a lot of you are probably like, okay, you invited me to this church? Because this is, this is weird now. I know. I know. See, what I want is I want us to be like the Bereans in Acts 17. The Bereans, you may remember, when Paul came and taught, they examined everything that Paul said with the rest of Scripture to see whether it was legit or not. Don't believe something because I said it. Evaluate it. I'll make my case to you today, and you can sort it out, biblically. You see, if, if we would do that more often, we wouldn't be in the position where we're at right now, where some of you are like, wait, what? God doesn't command us to give 10%? So we want to be like them. We want to be like them. So I think the best place to begin is where the word tithe is first mentioned, and that's in Genesis chapter 14, 20. I'll paraphrase the story if you want to write the reference down. But Genesis 14, 20 is where that word is first mentioned in Scripture. Now the word, it, it means a tenth. That's, that's true, it means a tenth. But in this story, Abraham, at the time his name is Abram, he goes into battle, fights some different people. He's victorious. His life is spared. He takes the spoils of war. He comes back home. He meets the king of Salem. It's the ancient word for Jerusalem. Um, the king of Salem, you may remember his name is Melchizedek. He is both a king and a priest. And Abram decides to give an offering to God. And so he gives a tithe. He gives a tenth. Now what's interesting is this. This is the first time we've ever seen this word mentioned in Scripture. What's interesting is this. When he does this, God doesn't command him to. He just does it. Just does it. He, he gave a tenth. And he didn't even give a tenth of his entire income. Or like annually. He just gave a tenth of the spoils he took in war. That's it. As I said, Scripture doesn't say that God commanded him to do this. And furthermore, Abraham lived 160 years. At no time before or after his life is it ever mentioned ever again that he ever gave a tenth. He just simply chose to do it. He went into battle, killed some people, he survived, took some spoils of war, and he wanted to give. Wasn't told you gotta give this much, he just, he just wanted to. He wanted to, to thank God. Just wanted to thank Him. He just simply chose to do it. And we fast forward from there. We fast forward from there. And the people of Israel have just left Egypt. They were in slavery for 400 years. The exodus has taken place. And they are told that they needed to take a tithe. A tithe of 10%. Because the word means 10%. And they needed to come and give 10% to the Levites because they were the priests and 
That was their job, and they didn't have any other way to, to make an income, and so they needed to take this offering and give the Levites to help support them. And it's usually at this point where people say, well, see, that's why we do what we do, because just as the Israelites wanted to support the priest, who that's their primary function, we want to help support our pastors. And so we take an offering and we give just like them, because priests and pastors have similar functions. And while that is true, there are very, very different functions. You see, the priest operated within the theocracy. And so not only did they have religious functions, but they also had civil functions. They helped run the government as well. But oftentimes people try to make that connection. I don't know if it's necessarily a bad connection to make. As I said, there are similar functions that pastors and priests carry out, though, let me be very clear, there are different. But that's oftentimes the rationale. They gave 10% to help support the Levites, the priests, because that was what they did, and so we too come and give 10% as well. And of course, there's a lot of questions that people have, because some of you have asked me, when I give, what does my money actually go to? So we don't often talk about this. We just, like robots sometimes, we just give, we're told 10%, so we just drop it in. We don't ask any questions, we're just... We've just been engineered to think this way. And so people ask me, and it's a very honest, legitimate question. They say, well, when I actually give, if I give to Lynchburg City Church, what am I actually giving to? It's a good question. So when you give to Lynchburg City Church, you do give. Some of the money comes to pay the pastor, pay me. Some of the money comes to be able to turn the lights on in this building, because we don't own this building. So we pay rent. And we have liability insurance. Or maybe you've gone onto the website, lynchburgstatechurch.com, or you've gone to SoundCloud and listened to the sermons. That's, we have to pay all those things so that we can, we can listen to, to different things and have those things available. I was actually talking to, I think, Nate Billing about this. I just thought it was interesting. Uh, like SoundCloud, when we put the sermons on there, apparently people from 25 different countries have accessed that. I think the top three are Canada, the Netherlands, and the UK. Someone told me, Joe, you're like the Joe Decorator of the Netherlands. <laughs> So if you're listening right now in Canada, the UK, or the Netherlands, a big shout-out from Lynchburg City Church. But, <laughs> but, but those are things, and those are, those are legit questions. Um, people say, well, what does my money actually go to? And oftentimes people are concerned, to be fair, because they either haven't been taught about this aspect, these, these principles here, or they've been a victim directly or indirectly of some type of financial abuse within the church. And so they're very leery. Anytime aspect of money gets brought up, they, they are. I, I heard a story one time someone said, they said, yeah, um, we'd like to give to Lynchburg City Church, but we don't want any of our money to go to pay you. So I'm like, Okay, and there's reasons for that. There's underlying reasons why that is. And so my goal up here is to teach a Bible and to help you understand that. Because the question is, as well, should we pay our pastors? Because that's the application we're, we're jumping from. Remember the, the linear thought, right? We give ten, the Jews, they give 10% to, to pay for the, the Levites, to, to help them and support them. Therefore, we should give, likewise, to help support our pastors. Then people say, well, is that even biblical? Now, you're probably thinking, it is, because I just said that I get paid. But I better make the case right now for you, otherwise don't don't follow this. 
So this is, I think, the text that I need to go to. It's 1 Corinthians 9, the whole chapter, really, but I'm going to focus on verse 14. 1 Corinthians 9, 14, I'll read it to you. It says, in the same way, this is Paul writing, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So you proclaim the gospel, you should get your living by the gospel. People like that. Some of you are like, I don't really like that verse. And there might be a reason for that. There might be a reason because maybe you, you've seen this taken too far. Or Galatians 6, 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all things with the one who teaches. So if you're in here right now and you're being taught the word, Paul would say you ought to share all good things with the one who teaches it. Or 1 Timothy 5.18 For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the labor deserves his wages. I read that to someone a few months ago and they said, well, that, they're like, Joe, that doesn't mean that pastors are supposed to get paid. In the prior verse, verse 17, Paul says, The elder who serves well is worthy of a double honor, the one who labors in teaching and preaching. He's worthy of a double honor. See, oftentimes we say, why do we pay pastors? Well, we just do. Well, that's not a good reason. We just do. Now, if you say 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18, your reason just got infinitely better. This is what Paul says. In this culture... Lots of farming. They have the oxen. The oxen are, are working the fields. And the law was in Israel, you can't muzzle the oxen. So when the oxen are, are out working, they're allowed to bend over and eat while they're working. They're allowed to enjoy. They're allowed to enjoy the fruit of their labor. So Paul says, if the oxen are allowed while they're working to enjoy and benefit from the fruit of their labor, how much more than the one who labors in teaching and preaching for that person, the elder who rules well, is worthy of a double honor. In this context for Paul, this means pay your pastors. Don't make them work second jobs or, or say, oh, your wife can work and she can just catch you up the difference. It's not what Paul wanted at all. And then people will come and they'll say, but, 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 Joe, Paul was a tent maker. <laughs> he justified his tent making when you read 1 Corinthians 9 by almost saying that he was disobeying Jesus. People say, he's bivocational. He wasn't bivocational. He was one vocational. And he did this so the Corinthians wouldn't say that he was mooching off of them. He was so worried about the Corinthians. They had so many problems going on. He was so worried about them. He didn't want them to say that they're mooching off of him. But he didn't want pastors to do this. He, he wants, it's very clear, when you look at 1 Corinthians 9, when you look at Galatians 6, 6, when you look at 1 Timothy chapter 5, What's churches pay your pastors? And here raises the question, pay them what? That's the debate. And the answer to that, well, there's a lot of different points of view. So I'll take Pipers. Really? 
Yeah. <laughs> Piper says, John Piper says, we should not try to keep our pastors poor, nor should we try to make them rich. We should not try to keep our pastors poor, nor should we try to make them rich. Churches, you should pay your pastors. Pay them what they need. Need for what? A jet? You may remember a year and a half ago, Creflo Dollar in Atlanta. He, he, he wanted his church to pitch in a little extra so he could get a Gulfstream, something, something, something. I'm sure Jake would know. A, a private jet. Now, he has a private jet, but his is like 20 years old. So he needs a new Gulfstream, whatever the latest, greatest is. $65 million jet. No, you can't have $65 million to buy yourself a new private jet, Mr. Dollar. See, and we wonder why people oftentimes don't like it, right? Uh, the church is just greedy. And so what, what happens is people are hurt or they experience some abuse or they hear stories like this, and then they just... I saw uh, one of those keyboard warriors on Facebook the other day. <laughs> and... And, and, and this is what they do, right? They see an abuse like this, and so then they lump all churches, all pastors, and they say, well, this is what they're all like. And they either experience this abuse directly or indirectly. No, we should pay our pastors what they need. Piper says, we shouldn't try to keep our pastors poor, nor should we try to make them rich. What they need for what? I think a modest living. Where? That changes, right? A modest living in Lynchburg or a modest living in Manhattan? That the changes. I think Lynchburg, the median income is about 38000 a year. I think, that's, I think that's probably a good starting point for pastors in Lynchburg. But if you try to pay, say, Tim Keller, his pastor in Manhattan, you try to pay him that, I, like, that's barely going to probably cover, like, groceries for the month. I mean, that's, that's the issue here. Pay them what they need. But you see abuses, or you hear of it. I'm sure some of you, there's a worship leader in Lynchburg that makes six figures. And I'm like, why would anybody need a hundred or $200,000 in Lynchburg if the average person makes $38,000 a year? Like, why would you need that? And then you be, we become very bitter or hardened toward these things. So, people say, well, Joe, I think you've made a good case, right? 10%. The Israelites did it to help support the priest. They have similar functions with pastors, though, yes, different because they help run the government and they're within a theocracy, but why don't we just go from there and say 10%? Well, when you keep reading, you find out some more information. You, you keep reading Deuteronomy chapter 12, And you find out, in Deuteronomy 12, there was another tithe. Remember, that word means 10%. So now there's another 10%. And this was given to be consumed at the festival. It wasn't a frivolous thing. It was to stimulate devotion to God. It was kind of like a national potluck day. And it, you'd go and you'd consume it together. 
So now they, they have 10% for the Levites, 10% for the national potluck. And oh, by the way, you read in Deuteronomy 14, verse 28, and it says, At the end of every three years, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. Now, that's a tithe every three years, annualized, that's three and a third percent. So now they've given 23.5%. See, somebody says, well, what's wrong with saying the Jews gave 10% or that God commanded them to do that? Because it's not true. They didn't give 10%. They gave like 23%. And that's just to start with. Like if they didn't give that, they're robbing God. Oh, by the way, they also had a temple tax. And, oh, also, you should note this. Exodus chapter 23, every seven years, they had to give the land a Sabbath. So they every seven years, they couldn't take in any of the fruit of the land. They had to let it rest. Some of you... You get upset when Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. Now imagine if it was closed the whole year, every seven years. I think I have your attention now. They, they easily gave 25% of their income just to start with. Just to start with. And this didn't even begin to account for free will giving. And I think there's a huge application made at this point. Numbers 18.12. I'll paraphrase the story for you, but Numbers 18.12. Numbers 18.12. I love this text. See, what they would come and they do is they would take the very best of the harvest. They'd take the very best, and then they'd go and they'd just give it to God. And the amazing thing about when they would do this is they would do this before they finished taking the rest of the harvest. In other words, they wouldn't know how much they were going to have left over. But see, most people, when they give, they don't give like that. They get a paycheck, or they're given money. They do this. Okay, I got federal there, Social Security there, state, FICA, okay, rent, tuition, Walmart. Kroger, Starbucks, shopping, the mall, miscellaneous. Okay, well, if there's any from the, oh, there's a little bit from the Starbucks. Okay, I'll just take that and I'll just. There you go, God. That's how we give. That doesn't take any faith. That just takes a calculator. And it's worship. See, I love the Numbers 18-12 principle, right? Because they come, they take the very best. They go, they give it to God. And they don't know if there's going to be enough left over. But they trust God that He's going to provide for Him. That He will take care of them. I love Numbers 18-12. That's faith. That's worship. See, remember, the people in Malachi's day, they're giving but they're giving in a spirit of religiosity to check the box to say, okay, I did it. There's no faith. They're keeping the best for themselves. It's not worship. It's calculation. That's what it is. So Malachi comes and he says, God says he's not happy with you. God's going to judge you. Because you've brought me the blind and the lame. you brought me the worst animals. You've kept the very best things for yourself. You think about that. That's kind of insulting. 
That's kind of insulting. So it's no wonder God says, You're robbing me! All of you! You're robbing me! He's furious at them! How insulting that is to the creator of the universe who brought them from exile into Judah! The only reason they're there is because of God! And they don't trust him? You've got to be kidding me. God is furious with them. Furious. And I'll be honest. Some of you, I don't know that he's too happy with either. We look at Exodus 35, 4. Moses, he speaks to the congregation. He says, listen, God wants us to take an offering. How much? Whoever has a willing heart, um, just bring it. Exodus 35, 21. And they came. Everyone whose heart stirred him up, everyone who had a willing spirit, they came, they brought an offering to God. Then Exodus 35, 22. Men, women, as many had a willing heart, You begin to get the idea? You begin to see what God's really after? A willing heart. It's not legal. It's not this amount or this amount. That's what he's after. Exodus 36.5. So they came back, talked to Moses. Moses, this was going on. Um, So we took the offering, and we took in too much. And Moses said, okay, this is what we'll do. Go tell everybody in the camp that we took in too much and tell them that they need to restrain their giving. Now, this is strange. I've never been at a church service, and the pastor says, hey guys, listen, we took in too much money last week or last month. I don't want you guys to give anything tonight. Like, when was the... I've never been there before. (laughs) That's what he says. Who talks like that? Moses does. Moses talked, hey, you guys gave way too much. You were so generous um, last week or last month or this year. We're not having an offering now for the next month. <laughs> Just like, I've never seen that happen. But it did in this story. Amazing. So you say, All right, God's after a willing heart. I want to please God. How do I do that? Can you be more specific here? Hebrews 13, 16. He says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such, here's the word, sacrifices are pleasing to God. You want to please God? What does he say pleases God? A giving sacrifice. Giving sacrifice. And some of you say, it's so hard. I think 90% of you are probably unemployed right now. And you say it's hard. And I know it's hard. If you've been at Lynchburg City Church for any time, maybe you shared my story with you. Started Lynchburg City Church August 2013. Um, I remember my dad thought I was a complete joke because here I have a master's degree of divinity. I went to seminary and I said, yeah, I got a full-time job. He says, how much does it pay? And so I worked here. Three years, 37 months to be exact, no pay, full-time job. And so I know that it's hard. 
And some of you also know this story, that for the first, I don't know, year and a half, I didn't give anything to the church. You can say that's right, you can say that's wrong. I didn't give anything to the church. Just being real with you, just being transparent. I didn't. My thinking was, I don't get paid. I'm technically giving 100% to God. But God used my wife, Diana, to really uh, challenge me in this area. You guys also know I'm an Army Reserve chaplain, and that's a few hundred bucks extra a month, just a little bit. And she has a part-time job, just a little bit. And she's like, well, why don't, why don't we give more? I'm like, give more? She's like, yeah, give, give, why don't we give more? I was like, okay. Took the, the meaning 110% to a whole new level. I know it's hard. That's why it's called sacrificial giving. Just, the word sacrifice isn't supposed to be, oh, it's a sacrifice. That's oh, easy. It's a sacrifice. That's why it's called it. That's why they call it sacrifice. It's hard. I'll tell you. During that time, I don't know, 18 month span, working full time job, no pay, and then giving, giving what little extra we had trickling in at the time. And no, at no time, did I ever not have enough gas to put in my car? At no time did I never have food to put the, on the table? At no time did I, did I not have the, my basic needs taken care of? I thank my wife to this day for challenging me spiritually in that way. That was hard. You say, it's hard. I, I'm caught. Yeah, it is. It is. And so that's why I don't say, like, I say, yeah, 10%, it's a great starting point. But for some people, 10% isn't hard. Like, for some people, 10% isn't a sacrifice. That's like how much they spend on toilet paper for the month. And I don't even know who would need that much toilet paper. <laughs> it's a matter of the heart. When you give, when you give. Some of you, I'm restructuring your brain because all you were ever taught was mom and dad or pastor said 10%. I didn't even know what the Bible verse was. And so you're saying a lot of things that are completely changing how I think about giving as an act of worship. But what he's after is a willing heart. How much should I give? 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. It's not legal. I tell people 10% is a great starting point. But it's not legal. Each one must give as he has given, and each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. He doesn't love a begrudging giver. He doesn't need your money. Some of you are like, oh. see that offering plate come around, or someone makes an announcement, you're like, oh. it just annoys you to have to give. Then don't. Then don't. Serve the Lord with gladness, the psalmist tells us. Not with a bad attitude. He doesn't need your money. But I'll tell you right now, and I think this is a common trap of the enemy. I hear this all the time. People say, well, Joe, if I had more, then I'd give more. Probably not. I hear it all the time. I've got a friend driving a really expensive car, graduated from college. You know, I asked him, I said, can you help support LCC? I know you don't live here. Would you, would you consider that? He's like, oh, Joe, I'd love to. If I had more, I'd give more. I hear that all the time. Let me be clear. Giving is not a matter of what you have. Now, I leaned heavily upon John MacArthur in preparation for this sermon a year ago, and he told a great little story to illustrate this. He said, a, a pastor went and spoke to a farmer. 
And he said, Mr. Farmer, would you be willing to give a thousand bucks to the Lord? And the farmer said to the pastor, well, Mr. Pastor, if I had a thousand dollars, I would most certainly give it. He said, if I had a thousand dollars, I'd give half of it to God at least. So the pastor said, if you had five hundred dollars, would you give half to the Lord? He says, oh, pastor, if I had $500, I'd give half the Lord. And he works him down little by little. And he says, yes, I would give half the Lord. And then the pastor finally says to the farmer, if you had two cows, would you give one to the Lord? And the farmer says, pastor, that's not fair. You know I have two cows. See, giving isn't a matter of what you have. This whole notion that, well, if I had more, I'd give more. Remember the story of the woman with the two copper coins? Remember where it says that she says, if I had more, I'd give more. <laughs> Said nobody, including her, ever. <laughs> I think it's just a common lie of the enemy. Luke 16.10 illustrates this. It says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. If you are not giving sacrificially with what you have, what little you have now, you really think you're going to give sacrificially when you have more? No, probably not. Giving's not a matter of what you have. For those of you who use the excuse, well, if I had more, I'd give more. And we see this so beautifully illustrated with the Macedonian Christians. They remind me of a bunch of poor college students. I love the Macedonian Christians. Second Corinthians chapter 8. Verse 2, it says, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty, sounds like anybody you know, have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. In other words, they didn't have a whole lot, like many of you, but what they had, they gave. They just gave. And this was a huge surprise to Paul. So he says in verse 5 of 2 Corinthians 8, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us, giving is not a matter of what you have. It's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the sacrifice that you desire to give to God as an act of faith, as an act of worship to God. Not about just checking off the box or flipping a quarter in the offering plate. It's a matter of the heart. Maybe that's an act of worship for one person. But it's a matter of the heart. You know, Luke 19 is a, a cool story. Zacchaeus, the wee little man. Some of you may remember singing songs about him. I love that story. This is a really cool thing. I, I, I thought it was so much cooler when I thought about it in these terms. So he meets Jesus. His life is totally wrecked because Jesus does that. Um, he'll wreck your life. He'll, he'll change you. He'll make you a new person. You'll, you'll see things differently. You, you'll no longer just see facts about Jesus, but you'll see the beauty of those facts when, when you understand what he did for you, when he lived the life he couldn't live, when he died the death you should have died. When he paid the price, you couldn't afford to pay. And so Zacchaeus meets Jesus. His life is wrecked. It's totally changed. And Zacchaeus tells Jesus, listen, I'm going to pay back everybody half, excuse me, I'm going to pay everybody back 400% if I took from them, and then I'm also going to give back half of everything I own. Notice what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't say, listen, Zacchaeus, I know you're new to this whole Christianity thing, but we only do 10%. <laughs> 
We only do 10% Zacchaeus. No, of course not. Why would he rob Zacchaeus of that act of worship to God? Why would he rob him of that blessing? And so, when Paul's in prison, when Paul is in prison in Philippians 4, he just receives a, a gift, a lot of money from the Philippians. And he says in verse 18 of chapter 4, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You want to please God? Bring him a willing sacrifice. Not a begrudgingly sacrifice. And in verse nine, he said, 19 of Philippians 4, he says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, I've been to, you probably call them little revivals. And I've heard Malachi 3 totally abused. Especially verse 10. I remember, I don't even know where it was. It was back in Alaska. Growing up, I went with my mom to some event. And the pastor, or I don't even want to use that term, the guy speaking, he, he, he cited verse 10. He says, listen, if you give to God, God says, I'll open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. And then went on to say how you give, God's going to give you back tenfold, twentyfold, a hundredfold. Who wouldn't want to do that? Problem is, that's not worship. That's an investment. That's the issue. Oh, I'll give. He's going to give me back a hundredfold? Man, like Edward Jones, Merrill Lynch, Charles Schwab, they can't match that. And the likes of these other prosperity gospel preachers. No. No, it's not a I scratch your back, you scratch my back type of thing whatsoever. It's just garbage. Prosperity gospel's a joke. Now, what, what's the issue here? I think Paul hits on it hard in Philippians 4.19 with his response to Epaphroditus and the Philippians taking this offering. He says, my God will supply every need of yours. Not every want of yours. Every need of yours. Not every want, every need. You get that? Every need. Not want, every need. And this really brings us back to that Numbers 18.12 principle. I love Numbers 18.12. They come, they take the very best of the harvest. Not in this, okay, I got this, 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 Walmart, tuition, rent, car insurance, blah, blah, blah. How much do I have left over? Okay, I'll just, I'll just let God have that. Not in this calculated way, but in this, I'm going to take the very best I have. I'm going to go. I'm going to give it to God. I don't know how much I'm going to have left over, but I trust that my God will and can provide for me every need. See, that's worship. That's the difference between checking that box, having that spirit of religiosity, that's the difference. See, people in Malachi's day, they're saying, we're not robbing God, we're giving. No, you're just going through the motions. You're holding back. There's, there's no heart of worship involved. There's no faith involved. 
What is he after? A willing sacrifice? Serve the Lord with gladness, Psalms 102. God loves a cheerful giver who gives from the heart. That's what he's after. It's not legal. It's not law. You don't see that at all. And some of you, you're like, oh, this is awesome. I'm going to have like everybody listen to this sermon because Joe's saying, I don't have to give 10%. I can basically be, maybe you're not saying it out loud, but I can basically be as cheap as I possibly can. And if you're thinking like that right now, then you are just like the people that are being indicted in this story. They honor God with their lips, but their heart is far from him. Jesus, we love you. You are a good God. You're a great God. I pray that you would give us a heart of worship, not a, I'm going to just do this, or I do it begrudgingly, and I've got a bad attitude about it, but I pray that you would give us a a desire that you would stir up within us, a willing desire that we want to give, like, like Abram. You saved his life. You gave him some... Some money, some wealth that maybe he wasn't expecting. He just, he just wants to give. How much? He just wants to give. He just, I pray that you give us that type of willing spirit. That we would serve you with gladness. That we'd stop just going through the motions. That we, that we wouldn't be like the people in Malachi's day. Holding back. Not trusting you. I pray that we would be like the people in Numbers 18, 12. That we would give to you our very best, knowing that our God can and will provide for every one of our needs. But that's hard sometimes. So I ask that you would help us. Help us, Jesus. Give us, give us a heart of worship. Bring us back to that point. Amen.